Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They are online at respectsextet.com. This is their 10th anniversary year, and they've got performances coming up in throughout uh, the next several weeks into October. And they've got great records that you can get, and you should do all of those things. And just go to respectsextet.com and buy their albums, get tickets to the shows, all those things. Thank you. Also, check out Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. He's very funny, and he tweets at uh, twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. It's happened to me several times recently that I have forgotten what Twitter is called while I was trying to either say it or type it into a browser. Not really sure why that's happening, but I seem to be uh, developing a Twitter blackout of some kind. Thanks also to All About Jazz for carrying the show. You'll find it at their website, allaboutjazz.com, and there's also a widget that you can get there and install on your own website. And if you do that, let me know because I will feature you in my newsletter. Many uh, people have already done it, and if you'd like to be one of them, it just uh, the widget just shows what the most recent episode is, and people can click on it. So if you'd like to do that, let me know, and I will uh, send out information in my newsletter about your website. Thanks. The show is member-supported, so if you like what you hear, please do become a member. You can do that at thejazzsession.com slash join, and uh, it's super easy. It's cheap if you want it to be. You can do it for as little as 10 bucks a month, or if you want to pay in one lump sum, you can do it for $110 a year. And it goes up from there. And if you want to be a sponsor, like the people mentioned at the beginning of this show, then you either pay 50 bucks a month or $500 a year, and you'll get mentioned on every single episode. Two of those a week, it's not a bad deal. Interestingly, this is like a, a kind of a second-generation coincidental discovery guest today. <laughs> I'm not going to try and make an acronym for that. Uh, but it's guitarist Gilad Hexelman, and... Uh, many of you might remember, some of you might remember, no one will remember, but I'll tell you anyway, that I met uh, Joe Laurie when I went to the Tanglewood Jazz Fest the first time, and there was a press reception at a house on the Tanglewood grounds, and Joe's band, with James Ship and others, was playing on the lawn in front of this house. And I was just walking past them to go into this house to the reception, and I heard Joe sing and kind of stopped dead, sat down, didn't get up again until she was finished, and uh, I happened to sit next to Kate McGarry, and I said, do you know who this is? And she said, it's Joe Laurie, and she was on the show, and so on and so forth. So in the intervening years, Joe and James and I have become friends, and I went to see Joe and James play at, uh, I don't know, maybe 55 Bar, maybe Cornelia Street, I've seen her at a bunch of places recently. And Gilad Hexelman was playing guitar with her, and I was just super impressed by him. So, decided to strike up a little conversation. Some number of weeks slash months went by, and he's got a new record out, and he's doing some shows here in New York. Uh, and the album is called Hearts Wide Open. I think you're really going to like it. And this is a tune called Hazelnut Eyes.
My guest is the guitarist and composer Gilad Hexelman. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I uh, I saw you just by accident uh, playing with uh, my friend Joe Laurie, and uh, immediately the, f- the first thing that hit me about you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you sounded to me like a guitarist who had listened to, besides a lot of jazz, maybe a lot of pop music, because the I find you to be a, an incredibly melodic player, which is one of the things that really appeals to me. And I like a lot of pop music, and one of the things I really like is the use of guitar in that kind of very melodic way, which is not the only way you can play, right. but it's one way that really appealed to me. Yeah, well, th- thanks for the compliment. Um, yeah, I definitely um, think about that, think about how I can, because uh, I, I do like uh, pop music, mainly Israeli pop music, actually. Some of my you know, biggest in- inspirations are um, Israeli pop culture uh, singer-songwriters. Um, and uh, at some point I did have to think about, you know, like you go to school and you learn jazz and you learn like all the, all the you know, scales and substitutions and, and uh, voicings and stuff. But um, uh, it actually hit, like, it, it hit me at one point when, when, when I was in New York and I was listening to, like, I, I was kind of listening to hard bop. I was kind of really into hard bop for a while. And I was walking on the street listening to a CD my brother sent me from Israel of like some Israeli music that I grew up with. And, um, you know, I, f- I actually found myself like walking down the street in New York, like with tears in my eyes. And I was like, wow, whatever, whatever made me feel like that right now, I need to, I need to be able to capture that and, and be able to recreate that. And, um, I realized that, you know, sometimes, um, you're dealing with, with, um, advanced material and you kind of get farther from the basics of like, um, play a melody that, that can move somebody or moves at least you, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is something that I had to think about and, and sometimes it's tempting to go to the complex places, but, but, um, I try to, try to, you know, stop myself sometimes and, and just, uh, just try to play a song. You know, one of the things I exercise, um, is just being able to improvise on a song like I am writing a new song on it. And I don't want to give listeners the impression. Of course, they're going to be hearing your album during this interview throughout mm-hmm. our throughout our conversation. But I don't want to give people the impression that your music lacks depth or complexity. It's just that uh, you've kind of opened a door with that with what you just said that that really hits me right where I am right now because I find these days that a lot of the times when I want to be moved by music, I listen to like rock music or pop music or you know, salsa, or I listen to a lot of other kinds of music besides jazz, because I find that a lot of the contemporary jazz that I hear doesn't have that power to, like, put tears in my eyes on walking down the streets of New York, and a lot of other music does. And your music, and particularly this album, Hearts Wide Open, uh, is in places, I mean, just, it's really gorgeous in that way, um, that I think, I think you really have to expose part of yourself to make music like that you have to be unafraid to say like i'm going to play this really beautiful music uh, i wonder if that's a well you know that's i mean you you kind of give me a perfect segue it's almost like you asked me what, what's the title of the album about yeah because this this is what it's about this is why it's called hearts wide open because uh not not just the music written but also the, the way that the band is playing um and again like you like you said we do try to to still push the envelope and do like exploratory things but on the other hand, like the, the, the goal of the music that's presented there is to open our hearts and open the hearts of the audience that's listening to it. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely.
uh, before we go any further, will you tell the people who's on the record with you? Because it's yeah. really a great band. Yeah, uh, great band indeed. Um, Mark Turner on tenor saxophone. Uh, he's on four tunes. Uh, those four tunes are the majority of the album, in <laughs> fact, because they're, they're the longest tunes. Sure. Um, and then some trio tunes uh, with uh, my wonderful Hex trio, uh, which features Joe Martin on bass and uh, Marcus Gilmore on drums. Can you talk about uh, when it was actually time to record this album? First of all, I'm interested in, had you guys played this music a lot before you went into the studio? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, um, this music was definitely ready, um, especially trio-wise. Uh, there was no music on the music stands. It was like, close your eyes and, and make, make some magic. And now you've given me the segue, because that was exactly why I was asking, because it seems like... Uh, it certainly wouldn't be impossible to achieve your goal of being very emotionally present if you had to read, but it seems like maybe it's easier if you don't have to read. Well, you know, it, it depends. It depends on the musicians. I know musicians um, who can look at the chart for the first time and and, and make amazing music out of it. Sure. Um, I don't consider myself one of those. I'm getting better <laughs> at that, but I'm, I don't consider myself one of those musicians. But um, that's something I really admire too. You know, uh, I see uh, name the pop up to my head is Anat Cohen. I saw her recharge for the first time and, and like immediately emotion. Like there's no there's no part of like the te- you know unless it's really very complex. Or her brother actually Avishai is the same too. He's like pretty phenomenal. You put any music in front of him and, and it immediately turns into music. There's no there's no middle step. You know. Yeah. At least as far as I can tell. You know. Sure. Um, but uh, your question was <laughs> well, well uh, just talking about that about getting the band to the, to the point where yeah. you're totally off the page yeah. and you can just deal with each other in the moment yeah well again it, it depends on the musicians even even Joe and Marcus um, the, I mean Marcus for example like even if I bring like the most complex piece of music he would look at it first and uh, have to follow the chart to first once or twice but but then it's like he, he looks the other way and he's, he's just playing <laughs> playing music so um some musicians are incredible like that i'm not <laughs> sure unfortunately <laughs> still working on it though. still working on it not giving up can you talk about how uh, that your trio in particular got together how did you choose those two gentlemen to work with sure yeah uh joe um martin we started when I, when I moved to New York. Uh, pretty soon after I moved, uh, Mitch uh, Borden from Smalls uh, started giving me gigs at Smalls and at, at Fat Cat. And uh, what I did is basically try to call the baddest cats I could possibly call. Um, and I, you know, it it, hel- it helps if they know who you are, if you meet them through a friend, which actually Anat was was great at that because she introduced me to a whole bunch of sure. people on the scene uh, when I moved. But um, so Joe, I asked him to come and play uh, some gigs at Fat Cat at Smalls. Um, and then what happened is that we had a weekend at Fat Cat uh, when, when Fat Cat was still, uh, you know, it was like a music room. It wasn't, right. Um, wasn't what it is right now. And um, which is still great for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and we we played with Ari Honig Trio. And... Um, in the audience happened to be uh, two uh, heads of uh, recording labels, um, and one of them was the label of my first record, Smalls Records, uh, Luke Haven from Small Records. And um, you know, he called me the next day, and he was like, "I want you, I want you to record an album." Um, so that kind of initiated like a more uh, serious relationship with, with <laughs> Joe Martin, if you may. Um, and that album was you and Joe and Ari, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so that's split life, and then uh, I just kept using Joe because I, I really love the way he's, the way he's playing. You know, the way he approaches the instrument and music. Um, you know, he's constantly listening, constantly trying to to fill the gaps, but also uh, very aware of the bass function, which I'm which I'm really looking for. Um, and it doesn't mean that he always plays low frequencies or, or walking bass or not. It's not. It's never cliche. But you never feel like, wow, I wish like somebody would play some, you know, some bass right now. Right. Like, you always hear, you always hear like the bass, even when he's playing upper register. You hear, I don't know how to explain it, but you, you always hear that function. So I'm really looking for that. Um, um, 
he's a terrible guy, but you know, I, I you know, he's he's a, he's a, he's a good bass player, so I, I keep him on the gig, you know. Well, you got to take the bitter with the sweet, I guess. Yes. Exactly. No, no, he's he's one of, he's one of my best friends. He's a really great guy. That's great. And uh, Marcus, uh, we played, a, the first time I played with Marcus, I've heard about him for years. Actually, the first time I heard about him was when I was um, 18. I was visiting New York for a couple of months, just staying in an apartment with a friend. And um, my friend came from Blue Note, and he went to see uh, Chikoria, and he was shocked. My friend was a drummer uh, from Israel. And uh, he came back and he he, he said to me, "Listen, uh, I, I can't believe what I just saw. I, this this kid walked under the drums, sat in with the band, and it was the most unbelievable drumming I've heard. And it's a little kid, like that, that, that's how he told. He was <laughs> right. shocked, you know. He came back shocked. I was like, hmm, I wonder who that is. And many many years later, uh, people tell me, yeah, you know, Rohan's grandson. He's he's a great drummer. He's check him out." And there was one session that fell through, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, my friend Dave Robert, a bass player, um, now used to live here. We, went, we used to go to new school together, but uh, he moved back to the West Coast. Um, called us both for a gig. And uh, there was some situation with the, with the, with the gear. Like the, He had to use, eventually, his cymbal on, a, on the hi-hat stand. So it was like cymbal and snare drum, maybe bass drum, like really minimal kit. And you know, it's, it was like one of those moments. As soon as he started playing, I felt like elevated. You know, I felt like I'm, 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 you know, pushed by this great force of energy that just, you know, uh, lifts the music up immediately. That moment was like, okay, this, I'm, I'm going to be spending a lot of time <laughs> playing with this cat. Uh, I can I kind of knew it because it was just an, an incredible feeling that, uh, and I and I played with many many great drummers that I still love, but nobody quite uh is it's quite able to give me that feeling that marcus you know gives me when when i play with him is it a feeling of being uh not only uplifted but maybe pushed farther than you might go otherwise or like, like feeling confident that you can absolutely. go somewhere because you've got that yeah absolutely uh pushing pushing me forward i mean he's 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 so advanced but coming back to what we talked about in the beginning he's he's so advanced but the roots are so strong you know like you always feel swing even when the tune doesn't swing you always feel like this earth thing i don't know how to explain it like yeah it's, it's so raw it's so just so killing <laughs> it, it sounds like you have a, a real affinity for kind of the fundamental way in which like a trio interacts even if you take it to other places it changed you know it changed through the years actually um and when i moved to new york I was really into thematic um, exchange in the band, and I'm still Me really meaning into what? It. Can you say more about that? Uh, I, I, I wanted like if 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 I'm playing a certain cross rhythm, if the band started playing that with me, I would be the happiest man, you know. Like if um, that, and it's the type of playing that you know uh, um, I really found home when when I started playing with Ari Honig. 
um, and he's he's amazing at that. That that's kind of his his art. You know, he's he's all about a super intense interaction, uh, interaction that's thematic. Um, the thing that I'm getting more uh, with Marcus is is interaction that is more energetic. Sure. Um, and and of course Ari has that too. Ari Ari is an incredible drummer, uh, and uh, I love playing with him. Uh, we just did a we just released a CD not too long ago, mm -hmm. Lands of Oppression. So that's an album that I'm really proud about. Um, but yeah, that that element of like um, not so much back and forth information. I say this rhythm, you say this rhythm back at me, but more like I say this rhythm and you respond to it energetically. You lift, you 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 elevate the music there, or you escalate the music. You know, whatever whatever. Sure. Um, whatever it is, so I'm, I'm I'm really into this type of playing. Can you talk a little bit about your musical upbringing in Israel and uh, kind of your introduction to improvised music and, and the guitar? Sure. Um, I started studying music when I was six. I was uh, studying just uh, you know children piano. I wouldn't even say classical piano because <laughs> it was like just a little kid's piano. Sure. And then uh, at age nine, I wanted to play the drums. Uh, but I couldn't because my neighbor wouldn't let me. I, I had the drums for a month, and then that was the end of that. <laughs> um, so I started playing guitar uh, at nine. I was still studying piano, but uh, until twelve. But my my heart was really uh, with the guitar, you know. And um, I started improvising pretty much immediately, uh, as you know, as I pick up pick up the instrument. Uh, I have really old tapes of. Me just jamming with with a friend on, on electric drums, um, and yeah, improvisation was was actually you know more what I could do than than really reading like piece of like a piece of music sure. or, or anything. So, and I think that's that's very true for a lot of guitar players. Uh, it's the type of type of instrument that you start learning sort of with a lot of improvisation in, involved, rather than um, piano, for example where you spend years before anybody tells you that you can bend the rules, you know, or can do what, you know, something, something for the moment, you know, you study classical music for years. So guitar, like, you know, 10th lesson, here's the pentatonic scale, you know, play blues. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so um, I was, I was playing the pentatonic scale um, back and forth. And you went to a school that has produced a lot of well, yeah, that's that's later right? on. Well, okay. then I then I then I got into like fusion and stuff like that before before I went to that school. Sure, um, and I started getting more into like I guess complex improvisation, and then like you said, I went to uh, Tel Mayelin High School of Arts, uh, which uh, like you said, many um, of the Israelis that that uh, you know I heard in New York. Um, in the jazz scene, went there. Avishai, Anat, Elie Jibri, Omar Vital, Avishai Cohen, the bass player, um, Yuval Cohen. I mean, mo most, like yeah. maybe ninety percent of the <laughs> of the people you you know went there. So, um, and yeah, and then and then I I was really exposed to like more traditional jazz. Um, uh, my teacher for jazz history, um, who actually passed away a year ago, Amit Golan. Uh, showed us, um, you know, showed us uh, all, all the all the greats. You know, when I when I came, I remember like he said the name Miles Davis, and I was like, mm, who who is that? I, I didn't know who that was, you know, or uh, or Louis Armstrong. You know, I heard the name, but I didn't know what it sure. was. So he he really showed us that tradi traditional the tradition of the music, and that that was a really something that I'm really. Um, grateful for, you know, just being exposed to that kind of music at age 15 yeah. in Israel. <laughs> and you came here to the States in 2004, is that right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And was that straight from that school to here, or was there time? There was time in between. Um, I didn't serve in the Army, um, so for three years after uh, finishing high school, um, I just uh, I played a lot of gigs okay. and practiced a lot.
did it seem like, since you were becoming serious about, obviously, about music and about becoming a musician, that New York was inevitable? That was kind of like um, implanted in our brains very quickly after we after we started going to Telemedin to, to the high school that I was talking about. Uh, they always talked about New York, and w- once you're done with school and with the army, you're gonna go to New York, and and you know you get get your behind kicked and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of like they always they almost made it seem like a natural next step. Like there's no doubt that that's what gonna you're gonna be ending ending up doing. <laughs> right. So sure enough, it was true. And did you come here and go straight to the new school, or did you? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what was that experience like? It was great. Um, I really enjoyed the new school. Um, Learned a great deal about music and about other things. Uh, met a lot of great musicians. Uh, met a lot of great teachers. Um, yeah, it was a positive experience, and it was in New York, so I, you know, and and in New York and in a fle- in a flexible, very flexible school. You know, so New School. The, the great thing about it is that they let if if you're slowly turning into an actual cat. During school, they let you be one. Yeah. Uh, so I, used, like I said, I used to play gigs at Smalls and Fat Cat, or even go on the road a little bit. And um, I, I made sure to to finish my homework and and get the home get get the information from people who went to class, and I was good about that. And they were cool with me doing my thing, and everything was, you know, well. Yeah. Is the is the community of Israeli musicians that's here in New York? Is it a, a close knit community? Yes, I know. There's it has like scenes within it, um, and kind of based on musical styles, or sort of, or or on I don't know. Just I, I don't know what it's based on. Actually, sure. to be honest, I have I have Israeli friends here that that I consider good friends, um, like Anat and uh, Shai Maestro and Mika Hari, singer. Um, but I'm definitely not not uh, like limiting myself to just being friends with Israeli. You know? Sure. Obviously, of the language is great. Being able to speak my original language, my to- uh, mother tongue. But um, I have I have really really strong connections with a lot of Americans and a lot of people from different countries. Sure. And um, I don't. I I I just try not to limit myself to to something like this because it's kind of like cl- closing a lot of options absolutely yeah yeah you've got uh, some live shows that are coming up can you uh, talk about those sure um so cd release parties uh first one is at the jazz standard on uh, september 7th um by the way all of them are re- with the original band from the record okay um and then the second one is september 9th uh at the the Falcon that's in Marlboro, New York, and uh, the third one is uh, at Chris's Jazz Cafe in uh, Philadelphia, and then we have some stuff in uh, in France actually in November. Oh, great! So um, if any of my French fans are listening right now, come out. Uh, it is November. It will be on my website with all the details. Okay. Um, and hopefully more, more more to come. There's something in Spain that might be happening right now, um, also in November. Um, so things are coming together. But you know, my website just myname.com, and there's sure. always uh, information there about where and when. That's great. And I'll tell people, uh, Jess and listeners, that it'll, your website will be linked in the show notes of the show, so people can go there and, and click on it. Um, given how uh, kind of emotionally grounded your music is. Can you talk about what the experience of performing it live with other people there in the room, kind of interacting and reacting, what that's like for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's actually it's even better than recording it because you get you get to, like I said, open your heart to people and and, and see something coming right back at you. So that's that's kind of the ideal scenario to to sure. play music in, you know. I've asked this to different people over the years and, and gotten different responses, but can you talk about how how aware are you of the audience when you're playing, of of their mood, of whether people are moving around or you know so on and so forth? Um, I should probably be more aware of it, actually. Um, but I try to actually just be aware of the band when I'm on the stage. Um and maybe I shouldn't be more aware of that. Like you know, some, like sometimes you finish a solo and you don't have uh, 
rave claps, you know, and that and that that's okay too, you know. Sometimes I'm in the audience and I like I witness like a great solo that like maybe doesn't get the, the biggest claps and I'm, and it kind of makes sense because they try and like I'm as an me as a part of the audience I'm trying not to not to influence where the music is going I'm trying to like sure. just let it be what it is at that moment so um but if people are talking really loud I am very aware of that yeah <laughs> and that really annoys me <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> um have you had a, a lot of chances to play in Europe or another other places besides sure yeah the US? and can you talk a little bit about the difference uh, that you see there? every place is different man like some 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 places people are reserved but they don't talk at all but they don't but they don't even they don't make other sounds that you want to hear sure when you play a gig <laughs> um, some places they talk all over the place you know it's like every, every the, all the options you can think about yeah there's a place for that you know, combination. And uh, what's the jazz scene like in, in Israel? I don't know very much about it. In Israel, there's a great scene of musicians. Uh, really, like, and, and every time I go there, there's more and more and more younger and younger and younger great players, you know. Um, only thing that's kind of sad to me is that there's not enough industry over there. Uh, there's not enough scene, not enough places for them to play sure uh to make a living you know every most most jazz musicians in israel have to be teachers otherwise uh they can't pay their rent so yeah that's that's a sad part to me and um since there's such a great talent i wish there was more recognition but that's kind of true worldwide you know like yeah. it's, it's such a great format of music like such a great concept and spirit and and surrounded with great energy creative energy but that doesn't get nearly as much attention as as it really deserves, you know. Will you talk a little bit about your your writing process? Are you the kind of person, for example, who writes every day? Are you when the inspiration strikes you? I wish. Uh, it's usually when inspiration strikes me. Um, sometimes it's more technical, like I decide, okay, I, I had this idea, I'm going to finish it. But um, most of my songs are like me, like recognizing that I've been singing the same song <laughs> For the past few days or a few months, every every once in a while, and then what is that song? Oh, it's I guess it's my song, and then like <laughs> sit down and write, write it down, you know. That's great. And do you tend to write at the guitar? Or do you write? Um, yeah, guitar, piano, no instrument. Does the does the medium that you use to compose does it affect what how you compose? Sure, um, gu- guitar. Uh, let's say piano is way more. Uh, limited because I don't have a lot of uh, chops on the piano, so um, I really have to slow down. And sometimes it brings good good things, you know, because I have to. I don't have the facilities to, you know, I, I improvise all the time, so I have I have the ability to just come up with with good melodies that could work. But on the piano, I kind of really have to 
look for that specific melody that that's the right one. Sure. And what about when you're writing with no instrument, just straight to the staff paper? That usually that's usually when when something like like I told you happens. When, yeah. When I just walk down the street and like I'm singing this little melody and I'm realizing that it that it's you know coming. No, it's not mine, but it's coming from my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, are are kind of singable melodies, so to speak, something that is sometimes sometimes it's really like can be really complex rhythms too. Yeah, um, it really varies. Like uh, hazelnut eyes. Uh, the process was that I I wrote uh, that this bass line is really displaced, um, and it creates a lot of rhythmic tension against the melody. But actually, I just started by singing that bass line one day, walking around singing that bass line, and then. I wrote the other the other part is actually a different melody that I came up with and it's actually based on the name Hazelnut Eyes, you know. I just I just I was like that that those were the lyrics in my head in my head at that moment and and, and I was trying to look for the for the melody for those lyrics. Sure. And then I looked at my computer and I saw that that baseline. I was like, hmm, let's see what happens when you put those two together and that that's what happened. mentioned uh rhythms and and the way that you use them uh, quite a bit during this interview is th- it's not something i for some reason that seems to come up a lot when i talk to anyone other than drummers on this show uh, but it sounds like the rhythmic component of how you write how you play how your band interacts is something that you really focus on yeah absolutely um like i told you i wanted to be a drummer before i wanted to be a guitar player sure and actually nowadays i i'm working on being a drummer too i practice drums uh, every day um but yeah I, I, rhythm definitely gets me very excited about music um i i used to study north indian classical music when i was in high school uh in israel which i forgot to mention about my <laughs> musical up, uh, upbringing and i was always very very uh curious about about rhythm and you know, displacement of like stuff like that, like moving things around, expanding things, shrinking things uh, in rhythm. Um, I remember the first time somebody like showed me how to uh, how you flip a, a, a beat. You know, like how 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 you can make four four, but like you know when when it's displaced. And I was super excited and from that moment on i was obsessed about displacement say more about displacement so that listeners can understand what you're what you're talking about uh for example i mean i i'm not a i'm not a beatboxer but sure um for example if there's like a steady rock beat like a boom 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 one Boom, you know, just sure. moving things around like that. Right. And so, uh, when you, for example, in the, sticking with Hazelnut Eyes, which you were talking about a minute ago, so the, the baseline in there 
uh, although the meter might remain the same, the places where the the kind of accented beats are is shifting during the song. Is that it's the not idea? shifting? It's actually staying in the same place. But the place it basically sounds the baseline is. Uh, and for most people it sounds like um one two three one but it's actually one I mean, it, I didn't, I didn't make that to, to be confusing. I just found that that baseline to be groovy and yeah. to work well with it, with that melody. And so it seems like if the baseline is like that, then almost uh, you almost can't help creating really interesting rhythmic counterpoints when you put something on top of that, uh, unless you follow exactly the same accent pattern. <laughs> you're going to end mm-hmm. up with some pretty interesting counterpoints. Exactly, and the melody it to- totally disre- almost disregards that baseline. Yeah, because the melody is like. Um, if you take out the baseline, it sounds like just a you know it could be a pop song you know it's, sure it's, it's very simple. So given how given how central to that particular piece the rhythm is, did you define what the drum parts would be in that? Um, I like to give Marcus or any drummer actually the um, I, I give them some directions, but uh, I you know Marcus is such a such a great musician that I kind of told him like I wanted to be like you know. A lot of offbeats, or I, I want this part to be like this or that. But pretty much, I tell him like, "Could you try out some stuff?" And I'll, I'll tell you when I hear the, the the one that I like. And then sure. And then I always make sure that, that that my band knows that if they feel like changing anything around, then that that's great. I mean, I'm I'm into that. I, I, I want them to keep me on my toes. Yeah. Does it uh, does using a technique like rhythmic displacement does that kind of force you out of whatever box you might be in as an improviser? as well uh, yeah i mean the answer would be yes uh, not not the uh, yeah sure <laughs> i mean not to imply that you're normally in some no 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 i, area, I am yeah, definitely yeah. in a lot of boxes that that's not that's not <laughs> why i'm hesitant to answer that question uh, you know i am constantly trying to get out of my boxes which sure uh you know but uh it's not the, one of the main things that, that that get me out of my box what are some of those main things um i have different different techniques that i use um and it can be um it can be anything really it could be like uh trying to you know just different improvisational tools like um trying to use elements from the melody of the song or um trying to um melodically describe items in the room or trying to react to what the bass is doing or trying to the drums or the band um so i have i have many different tools that i use in case i feel boxed into my own in, in my own head, you know. Sure. Can you say more about melodically describing objects in the room? That sounds pretty interesting. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's really it's a, this really random thing. But but sometimes when when I'm I feel like I don't have any fresh ideas, I try to um, look around me and, and see like things that I can try to describe musically. And nobody would ever know that that's what I'm actually doing. But right, no um, one would hear the melody and say, "Oh, it's the air oh, conditioner." It's, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it definitely makes me play different things, so um, it's it's helpful. Is that something that just occurred to you, or something that someone suggested to you? Nobody ever suggested that specific thing. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think uh, anybody ever suggested that. that sure. Thing, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. Can you tell folks when this album is going to be available? 
Absolutely. Uh, it's um, released. It kind of has a few different release dates, but uh, the, the, the main one is September 13th in the okay. U.S. and then September 29th, I believe, in uh, Europe and the rest of the world. And so if folks go to your website, they'll be able to find links to purchase the record, I assume? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, and download and all that kind of stuff. And actually some extras. I'm planning to put some sheet music and actually this, this cat transcribed all my solos already from the record. So, wow. So I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm going to put those available out there as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So are you the, uh, are you the kind of person who's already thinking about what the next thing that you do is I, going to be? I already got two projects in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's great. About which you'd like to say anything or you're going to keep that? I'm going to keep the, I mean, I, can, I, I, would ju- I would just say that the next one I want it to be trio. Okay. And then the one after it. Uh, I want it to be uh, the trio plus um, like different guests on different tunes. Okay, that's great. Well, it's uh, it's certainly been great getting to know your music. I, I really enjoy listening to you, and uh, it's been fun to talk to you. My guest is Gilad Hexelman. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks again for having me. That's music from Gilad Hexelman. Check his website, which will be linked in the show notes of this show, for information about the uh, release of the album and also about the shows that he's playing. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. You can find this show, and in fact, all 300 and whatever episodes of it, for free at thejazzsession.com. But if you would like to keep the show coming to you, please do become a member. You can do that very easily at thejazzsession.com slash join. Also, you might want to join the mailing list. It's the easiest way to keep in touch with the show. It will just send one email to your inbox every Monday. It'll tell you who's on the show for the next two weeks. And it will also give you some other links of interest to things in the jazz world and beyond. And you can do that by going to thejazzsession.com, and you'll see at the top it says mailing list. Just click on that link and type in your email, and there you go. And now, if you would, please get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. 
evening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.